If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to jump right back into our story where we left off last week. Debbie shared wonderfully through uh, Matthew chapter 10. And so today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Um, the title of today's message, I don't I'll give titles a lot uh, to my messages, but title for this week, uh, Right Time, Wrong Jesus. Uh, the I don't know about you, but if you've been on social media or watched any news in the last couple of weeks, um, you can't help but be uh, uh, just consumed with the political culture that's going on now. Politics, the presidential race, everything. And that was what was going through my mind. I just couldn't get it out. And I'm like, um, I wanted to focus. So how can I uh, talk about Matthew Levin? Uh, what does this have to do with our current life, our current condition, our current wave of culture um, 2016. And, and I found this link between the two, between the story that I'm about to share with you and politics. And so today, uh, it may be taboo, um, but I'm going to talk about politics. I know nothing unifies us more than politics, right? And so um, I, I want to talk about that today. And, but first, I want to get to the story uh, in Matthew chapter 11. So if you're there, we're going to start in verse 1 um, and go through verse 6. Uh, I'm reading out of the NIV. This is John uh, the Baptist's story. Uh, Verse 1 says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples, three of them, to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied to them, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In verse 6, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So let me give you a little bit of backstory where we are uh, here in uh, Matthew's gospel. If you remember from earlier in the story, we talked about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. He was the last of his kind. Uh, Old Testament ends with Malachi. And then there's silence. For 400 years, there's no communication between God and his people. And for these hundreds of years, uh, with this silence, all of a sudden, the New Testament comes. And and John comes running out. This crazy dude comes running out of the forest, the woods, dressed in animal fur, uh, yelling and screaming, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Which, which kind of gets everyone's attention, right? Not so much if it happened around here. I would expect someone to come running out of the woods yelling and screaming uh, here. But it, but it was just, it, it, it caught people off guard. And in chapter 3, you, we, we, we go into the story where John now is, is baptizing people at the River Jordan. And he baptizes Jesus, right? And then Jesus goes from there into the wilderness and he's tempted by the enemy. And then he comes out of the wilderness and straight into community, right? Jesus begins to pick some of his followers. So he goes to these uh, handful of fishermen and he says, hey, follow me um, and come with me. And so Jesus starts traveling with this with small group of guys and he's doing his ministry. He's preaching and he's teaching and he's healing and he's performing these miracles. And then we fast forward into chapter 10 where we left off last week. Jesus is now sending the 12 out. To preach and teach in the area. And what's really, really great about this and great about Jesus is he doesn't just, you know, sit back and send us and, and, and sit down and kind of uh, relaxes and just hangs out, right? And in fact, he goes on to, to do the same thing he's asking us to do. So back to verse 1 
of Matthew 11. It said, Jesus finished instructing his disciples, and then he went from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. So Jesus is doing the work, right? He's not just telling us, but he's doing it. And so he's on mission. He's doing this. And then in verse 2, we read, John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. Now, why was John the Baptist in prison? All right. John was really well known in the area. People respected him as a prophet of God. But then John had this, uh, this awkward run-in with the, with the king uh, at the time, King Herod, right? And King Herod, he has this affair with his brother's wife, right? Ends up divorcing his wife and taking his brother's wife as his own. Well, John the Baptist, he kind of spoke up to that and said, you know, hey, hey man, it's, uh, that's not really cool. You know, you really shouldn't take your brother's wife, right? And so he rebukes the king. And the king he doesn't like what John says, and so he has John arrested. And so where we are in the story is uh, John has been in prison for about 12 to 18 months uh, when he begins to hear the news about Jesus. And something just doesn't sit right with John. He begins to think that something is off here. Because the last thing that John was expecting was to be locked away in jail. Now that the Messiah was here, right? Jesus was supposed to put an end to the Roman occupation and, and put an end to the oppression of the Jews. John knew the Old Testament prophecies, right? So he, he begins to doubt and ask questions. He's like, um, he knows where the Holy Spirit had announced that there would be this one who would come before the Lord and prepare the way. And he's like, that's me, right? I, he understood that he was that guy. The Jews fully believed that the Messiah was going to rescue the Jews from Roman control. And John's like, listen, man, I did my part. I told the people to repent because the Messiah was coming. I remember Malachi 3, you know, where it says, Behold, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. I cleared the way, Jesus, right? But something's wrong. I'm in jail and, 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 and there wasn't any mention of, of that, in that in that verse, right? And I remember Isaiah 40, where it says a voice calling uh, that would clear the way from, for the Lord. He's like, I did that. Why am I in jail, Jesus? Why? Well, something isn't right here. And John begins to doubt. He begins to ask questions. He says, I know I'm the guy that was supposed to come before Jesus to prepare the way, but now I'm sitting in a cell. And he asks the question, well, maybe Jesus wasn't the one that I was clearing the path for. I'm not sure he's the guy, right? Why is he not overthrowing the Roman government? Why is he not setting the captives free? Why am I in jail? And so John sends some of his disciples to go and go and talk to Jesus, right? Because something just wasn't sitting right with John. He's been in prison for over a year. The Messiah has come, but things hadn't changed. Uh, so what was going on? And so John's disciples, they track down Jesus and they're like, Hey, Jesus, uh, sorry to bug you with this, but uh, John wanted us to ask you a question, right? You know, he's kind of wondering if, if, if you're the one. Uh, are you, we know you're, you know, are you the Messiah? Uh, are you the one that we're expecting? Or should we be looking for somebody else? And this angers Jesus, right? He, he, he goes off on them. He's like, how many times do I have to tell you guys and tell John that I'm the one? We already had this conversation at the riverside, right? When he baptized me. Doesn't he remember the dove? Doesn't he remember the loud voice that came from heaven where God declared that I was in fact his son? I'm tired of this dude's unbelief. Just, just tell him to believe whatever he wants. If he's not convinced that through what he saw at the Jordan River, 
that when God declared that I was the beloved, then he'll never be convinced. Wait, no. Actually, that's not what happens if you read the story. Jesus does exactly what he always does when he's faced with doubters and questions. He, he gives space. He doesn't preach them a sermon. He doesn't pray for their simple-minded faith. He, he doesn't give them a track or read a book to them. He simply goes on being who he is, and he continues his mission. I want to turn to Luke chapter 7. This is uh, uh, Luke telling the same, the same story here in Luke 7, verse 20. It should be on the screen behind me. When the men came to Jesus, so when John's disciples came to Jesus, John the Baptist sent us to you. Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf, deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And then he says this in verse 23. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. In other words, he says, listen, don't get mad because this is who I am. I hope you don't lose faith because of who I am. I hope you're not turned off by what I'm here for. Sorry if I'm not what you expected. I hope this doesn't cause you to lose your faith, guys. John, just like the rest of the Jews, wanted a Messiah to come in power and take over. He wanted a king riding on a horse with a sword. The, the, the Messiah would free them from this Roman occupation. Instead, they got this Jesus. And today, I don't think it's much different in our culture. I don't think a lot of us want the Jesus of the Gospels. I think many people want a Jesus that will come in and fight for their agenda. That they're expecting a Jesus that is going to attend their rally. To fight for the causes that they're fighting for. And I don't think that's the Jesus of the Bible. You see, we want, to, we want a political Jesus to come in and lead our party. We want to politicize Jesus and his mission. And so let me take a few minutes and let me, let me talk about politics if you if you let me politics i know some of you already you're in a defensive posture and you want to be uncomfortable yet some of you i know you won't admit it right um some of you're going to turn me out don't leave please just just hear me out i want to take a moment i want to see if i can change your mind or change your posture towards politics because it's going to get worse in the next couple of weeks, right? And, and you won't be able to avoid it. So how do we listen? How do we... Please don't leave. I'll be... I'll be, I'll be so, okay. Please. How do we listen? How do we talk? How do we talk with our friends and family and, and coworkers without driving people nuts or, or going nuts ourselves, right? What can you and I do when someone you love and respect says stupid stuff on Facebook, Right? Or at the table when you're having a drink together. Is it possible for us to think about politics in a good way? To see the word politic as a good word? Because too often when we think about politics, we think about scandals and corruption and money and lies and deceit and certain parties' agenda. But I wonder if there's something else, something, something better. And so let's look at the word. The word politics comes from the word polis, which means city. 
It also comes from the Latin and the Greek word politik with a Q-U-E, meaning of or for or relating to the citizens, right? So polite is how we treat one another. Uh, metro is the mother. Polis is the city. So metrop- met- metropolis is a, is a mother city. Cosmos is the world universe. Cosmopolitan is uh, the world city relating to many cultures and people. Politics are how citizens live together. Politics are how you and I organize our shared life together for the common good. So whether it's city or state or region or county or country, we're all in this together. So the shared good between us that we all desire, politics is that process. It's how we organize ourselves for the common good. Politics are necessary. They are vital to human thriving. And that's what we want. We want to thrive as human beings. Politics are practical. They're material. What they are not are abstract debates that we tend to have. But discussions, questions, policies that affect the way that we live together. We are surrounded by the effect of politics almost every minute of the day. I'll give you some examples. When it comes to our water, right, we have policies that are necessary so that when you go to turn the faucet, water comes out, right? Well, where does the water come from? How much will it cost to have it? Uh, who gets what amount? How much do, are we allowed to have? It? What happens if there's a shortage? Who makes the decisions? How, how much is too much? Those are political effects. When it comes to food, you go shopping, there's warning labels and ingredients on those cans, right? Who decided that the companies had to put those on the cans of food, right? Who's forcing the companies to pay the extra money to put that on the box? That's a political process. Our roads... Who's in charge of when it's time to fix them, right? To paint the lines, to put up new guardrails, to put new motorcycle parking lots in town, right? Those are all a part of the political process. How we organize our shared life together. When someone says, well, politics are bad, that we should, we should get rid of politics. Maybe you, you rolled your eyes when I said, hey, we're going to talk about politics today, right? Or, or you say, I don't want anything to do with politics. Politics are vital And absolutely necessary for our shared life together. Now, truth is, is there are bad politics. Abuse of power and process. There's the hijacking of the process of politics. And maybe you feel that way. That you're aware of the corruption. And yes, some have used the process uh, for their own gain. And others have used politics to stop other people from uh, using politics to help one another. For instance, if a leader of one political party says, my job is to stand in the way of the president of another political party, something inside all of us should say, that's not right. That's bad politics. That's bad energy. That's bad motives. That that guy has bad intentions, right? And so when you and I recognize that there are certain systems that are in place that are allowing some to thrive and others to be held down, We need to make change in those systems. So let's all together reclaim the word politics as a good word. And be able to recognize the difference that when we're talking about the abuse of politics or bad politics. But politics are how we organize our shared life together for the common good. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a few truths to keep in mind over the next next month, right? Before we get to election day. I want you guys to think this through. 
First one, and if you want to take notes, you can on the back of your bolts and there's space for that or on your arm with a pen, whatever. These are good. First truth. It is more important for you and I to make a difference than it is to make a point. It is more important for you and I to make a difference than it is to make a point. You see, it's a whole lot easier to make your point, but it's a whole heck of a lot more important to make a difference. See, it's almost impossible to engage in the current political debate and not end up uh, choosing a side, right? Not end up taking a side. So here's what I want to challenge you with. Whichever side you take, work on making your side better. Whichever side you're on, make it better. Influence other people for good. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Verse 5 and 6 says this. Pray that I may proclaim in clarity as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Live wisely. Make your conversations attractive. Make a difference in this world. Don't waste time just trying to make a point. When Jesus comes off the mountain after delivering the Sermon on the Mountain, how to live in the kingdom, he immediately takes his words and he turns them into action. He immediately lives out his, his message. And what's the first thing he does? He heals the leper, right? The most outcast of society. But it was how he healed the leper that made all the difference. See, Jesus could have just spoken the words and the man would have been healed. He could have made his point there. But Jesus touches the man. He broke every religious code there was. He risked everything to make a difference for this guy. And Jesus made a point by first making a difference. He took what was taboo and he showed how far the love of God stretches for the most unwanted, unworthy, unlovable in our society. And he changes the man's life because he was willing to make a difference. You and I, we need to put down the bullhorns and step away from the keyboards, right? And we need to get in the mess with some of the people and help them out. The story goes where there's a guy walking down the street and he falls in a hole. There's, the walls are so high he can't get out, right? And there's a doctor that passes by and the guy shouts out, Hey doc, can you help me? Well, the doctor writes a prescription and he throws it down the hole and he, and he moves on, right? And then the, the priest passed by the hole and the guy shouts out, Father, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? And the priest writes out a prayer and he throws it down in the hole and he keeps going. But then one of the guy's friends walked by. He's like, hey, guy, hey, Joe, it's me. I'm down in the hole. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. And the guy's like, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. First. Peter, chapter 4, verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. We need to serve one another. And there's opportunities for you and I to serve all the time. After service, we're going down to the basement to talk about our trip to Guatemala, right? 
where we're going to build homes for widows and orphans. This Thursday, we're headed to downtown Asheville to, to, to feed the homeless and the broken. Friday, over 70 high school football players and cheerleaders are coming over here for dinner. We have a chance to influence the youth in this, in this community. A couple weeks ago, we had Children's Hope Alliance come and share about the need for foster families and, and how we can help at the local emergency teen shelter in town. We need to spend less energy making our points and more energy making a difference. Second thing, we need to live fearless and joyful lives. Listen, no matter what happens in November, God is in control. But according to some of your Facebook posts, the world is ending and everything is doomed, right? right? <clears throat> Our confidence is not in the government. But instead, we are, we're just as scared as everybody else, it seems. Psalms 112. Verse 6 through 8. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. And in the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. First Thessalonians, and I'm going to jump around quite a bit. Thanks, Mike. First Thessalonians 5. Verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers... To respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. And First Peter 3.15. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give them the reason for the hope. Let me read that again. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope. Christians, Christ followers, we should be able to give answers for the hope that we have. The problem is, is that culture is not asking us Christians why we have hope. Instead, they're asking, why are you guys so afraid? Why are you guys so mean? Why are you so hateful? Why are you so unloving and unmerciful and ungracious? Where is the hope that you're supposed to have? How are we to give an answer for the hope we have if we don't have hope? And the third thing is we're to care for the broken. Compassion for Jesus followers is not an option. Compassion for Jesus followers is not an option. Now, there are several ways that we flesh compassion out, but as your faith grows, your heart should begin to break for the things that God's heart breaks for, right? Romans chapter 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. 
James 14. James 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by action, if it is not accompanied by action, or faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And here's the test for you. And if you're writing things down, these are some good things to write down right here. Before you post one more time on social media, I want you to ask yourself these questions. Ready? First is, do you mourn with those who are mourning? Second is, do you tend to side more with the oppressor or the oppressed? Third, do you spend more time defending a political position or being the hands and feet of Jesus? And lastly, is your only form of activism a Facebook post? Or are you out there making efforts to advocate for peace and change in your community? Reflective questions. We need to stop arguing. The world is watching us. People are taking notice of the church's response and the response of Christ's followers. You ever heard of the backfire effect, anybody? Backfire effect? So, good. Then I won't be wrong. (laughs) It's when you take a group of people who have a particular political leaning and show them facts that contradict their political position, most will not believe the facts. Uh, it was in the first song we sang where it said that people will read your words, but they won't, they won't believe them, right? When your deepest convictions are challenged by contradicting evidence, your beliefs get stronger. That's the backfire effect. That humans are engaged in motivated reasoning, a tendency to let our emotions set us on a course of thinking that is highly biased, especially on topics we care a great deal about. See, nobody really wants pushback or dialogue on their beliefs. We just want to be right. Whether or not the facts say something different. And here's the deal. See, critics, they make points. But leaders, they make a difference. You want the church to make a difference? Then we need to get busy doing something. Saying something is not the same as doing something. You see, you can rebuke dirty dishes all you want. They're not going to get clean, right? You know, you can say good luck with that move or you can help that person move, right? The world is watching. If we truly knew the heart of Jesus, the church would be on the front lines defending the oppressed. Or we will continue to post political hot takes that lack compassion, that lack care, and overall human decency. And then we wonder why people don't believe in the church. We have created this artificial barrier between personal morality and social ethics. But that's not what Jesus did. We should be involved in politics. We should be involved in the process of how we do life together. Because we are all recipients of of politics. We are all living under the effect of politics. 
But we have to move away from politics that are bad. We understand that they're necessary and they're vital. Because if there is something that is happening, we need to speak out about it, right? Like human sex trafficking. We need to speak out against that. Like when it comes to things like living wages or raising the minimum wage. If if your response to that is, well, they don't deserve it because they're stupid, lazy, leeches, they're worthless, uh, they don't want to work. That is a spiritual issue you have. If you're like, we need to figure out how this won't cause more unemployment, we need to have this conversation, that's a political end of that. If you look at equal rights under the law and you say, well, they're just thugs and they get what they deserve, that's a spiritual issue that you have. If you're like, hey, yeah, we need to look at how we can reform criminal justice, that's a political thing. The early church, they decided to make a difference in their community by helping put an end to what was known as infanticide. Infanticide was this idea that was late, late term abortions, right? This was extremely late term abortions. And um, these women would give birth and they would leave their babies at this place within the, within the city. And they would allow the child to succumb to the exposure. And the early church and the followers of Jesus, they believed in the sanctity of life. Not just the first nine months, but all of it. And they didn't go about addressing it through legislation or, or politics. Instead, the early church went to those places where the babies were being left and they rescued them and they adopted them into their families. And then they started welcoming these into their homes, these young pregnant mothers that were living in poverty and hopelessness and helped them raise their kids. Somewhere along the journey, we've convinced ourselves that Jesus is on our side, waving our flags, holding our picket signs. Listen, you can, you can be proud to be an American. I am proud to be an American. But we must be humble as a child of God. See, being American is not a kingdom value. Loving your enemies is. Jesus was about all nation and all people groups. Abortion, it's not a kingdom value. Taking care of orphans and widows, that is a kingdom value. Hating your enemy, not a kingdom value. Treating anyone unfair or less than created in the image of God is not a kingdom value. Less, we need to spend less time being against things and more time being for things. Jesus has invited us to join his side. Our allegiance, our identity is found in him. It's found in Christ. Philippians 3. Verse 8 and 9. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I have considered them rubbish that I might gain Christ. And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. The infinite value of knowing Christ was more important than anything. Can we say that's true about us? 
That nothing outside of knowing Jesus has more of our desires? Or do we place a lot of our worth and value in being right or, or getting what we want, we want, right? I got to be honest, I've had a hard time reading some, some stuff on Facebook and uh, in social media, uh, especially from people that claim to, to follow Jesus. Like that's, that's bad politics, right? That's, that's bad religion. And outside of religion, uh, nothing deserves more cynicism than politics, right? I have to think that at some point, following Jesus would cause us to want to be about the things that Jesus was about. When you're in relationship with someone, over time that relationship changes you, right? You begin to like the things that the other person likes. You start to get involved in the things that the other person is involved in. The same as being in relationship with Christ. That over time, you will start to be about the things that Jesus was about. And what was he about? When he came off the hillside after his message, when he was saying, blessed are the poor and blessed are the hungry, he immediately went down from that stage, that pulpit, and he helped and he healed the leper, the most outcast of society. And then he healed the servant belonging to the Roman soldier, the enemy of the Jews. This week, I, I listened to a press conference from the Reverend William Barber from the Charlotte area. He gave a press conference challenging the evangelicals by asking this question. And this is how I'm going to close. He says, when you preach the gospel, does it sound like Jesus? When you preach the gospel, does it sound like Jesus? Luke 418. Does your message sound like this? The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Does it sound like Isaiah? 61, verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Does it sound like our story today in Matthew 11, verse 5? The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And a chapter later, 12, verse 18. Here is my servant who I am chosen, the one on whom I love and in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets a bruised reed he will not break, and a smothering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Jesus' his agenda was to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor, to the brokenhearted, to the captive, to the blind, to the marginalized in our society. Theologian Augustine said this, if your interpretation of scripture is anything less than that of love God and love others, then your interpretation is wrong. 
If people don't see Jesus in our message, then we need a new message. See, our story should reveal Christ and what he has done and what he is doing. And if not, well, we need to start telling better stories. Instead of listening to more promises, we need to start being the promise of this world. I'm going to watch this video and then we'll close. Every four years, the citizens of our country head to the polls to elect our nation's leader. Just in our generation alone, candidates have emerged with various backgrounds, ideas, and policies. But they all have one thing in common. Promises. Eliminate the debt. Secure our borders. Boost the economy. Fix education. Protect Medicaid. Lower taxes. spending. Reduce government. Increase jobs. Restore values. And make America great again. And now we are faced with a decision between left and right, liberal and conservative, Democrat and Republican. So we attend the rallies, write the checks, hear the debates, analyze the polls, listen to the spin, watch the ads, follow the campaigns, pick a candidate, go to the polls, cast our votes, and then we wait. And four years later, we do it all over again. But what if this time something changed? What if Christ followers throughout our country didn't just listen to promises? What if we made the promises? What if we promised to become the light of the world, the salt of the earth, the hope for our nation? What if we promised to love our neighbors, forgive our debtors, and pray for our enemies? What if we promise to feed the hungry, care for the sick, and serve the poor? What could happen if we kept our promises? As Christ followers, our agenda should be the same as Jesus, to proclaim the gospel. So go today, the next few weeks, out and proclaim the gospel. We'll see you guys next week.